Hi everyone, this is David Wolf. I'm excited to get right into this week's episode of Beyond the Summit, but before we do that, I want to ask you for a little help supporting the show, and it costs absolutely nothing to you except 10 seconds of your time right now. If you could go into the podcast platform that you are listening to this episode on and rate the show with five stars, that would help spread the word and the incredible messages that our guests give to us each and every week. You can leave a comment or review of what you thought about previous episodes or wait to the end of the show and leave your review then. Now look, if you don't like the episode, when you're done, you can go ahead and change your rating as well. That's perfectly fine. But thanks so much again for listening to Beyond the Summit and supporting the podcast each and every week. Welcome to Beyond the Summit, where we ditch the hiking trail for the uncharted path. We're about the raw journeys and unvarnished truths. Life's a climb, and there's always a higher peak. Your guide? It's me, David Wolf. So strap up your boots and grab your hiking stick as we adventure together each week Beyond the Summit. Welcome back to Beyond the Summit. I got my good friend Dave Ruff is here with me. Dave and I have known each other about four or five years, something like that. And um, Dave's actually here in my home city of Cincinnati, Ohio at the time. And um, at this time, at the time, at this time, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not very good with English. I should never be behind a microphone. But Dave is here. He's here uh, for about eight or nine weeks each year uh, up in what is that what area is that that's gonna be harveysburg harveysburg which is northern cincinnati and every year they do the ohio renaissance festival and wow you talk about a lot of people in one place once dave is in he can't leave because it is just gridlock of of cars and um but it's not just there he can leave during the week but come weekend yeah i can leave during the week but when we're open forget it uh, in fact, I think last week they were turning people away. Uh, and what is that parking lot? Hundred acres, hundred and fifty acres. It's a big lot. Yeah, uh, you're talking ten, fifteen, sometimes twenty thousand people. All I know is from the exit to the lot, it's probably about a mile and a half, and it's going to take you at least forty five minutes from the exit of the highway to get into the lot. That sounds about right. It's 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 insane. It's tedious as a driver. <laughs> it's but that's worth. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, what goes on in a... Re- most people don't know what a Renaissance Festival is, Dave, and I've experienced it a couple times, but uh, what is a Renaissance Festival? So a Renaissance Festival, I mean, this particular one is set in 1572. Uh, people come out. We've got cast on site that will interact with you. Uh, think medieval. Medieval times, um, except in real time. So as a patron, you can go out there and you can just, you, food, uh, shopping, shows, oh my God, the, the shows out there, uh, the joust. Uh, this year they have archery on horseback, which is pretty cool to see. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just, it's fully immersive, absolutely fully immersive. Uh, prepare to go out and come home very, very tired. Now, if you're probably just tuning in, which you are because this just started, but you're going, wait a minute, what does this have to do with homestead and, and living a homestead life, which is what the title is implying? We'll get to that in a second because Dave, there's many facets to Dave. So you got to hear about this first because this takes up a good chunk of his year as well. Probably about a, a quarter or a third of his year is doing these Renaissance festivals. 
And I'll tell you firsthand as going, we went a couple of years ago and you got to get the turkey leg. The turkey leg is the bomb. Yeah. But this is coming from somebody that's done it for 15 years. Right. I, the turkey legs, my personal favorite out there are going to be the fully loaded baked potatoes. That's mm-hmm. best bang for the buck. Uh, pretty good. Okay. So if you're, if you're, if you ever been a fan of Dungeons and Dragons, man, this is yes. right up your alley. You are walking right into a Dungeons and Dragons reality. It's pretty cool. If you never tried it, you should try it at least once in your life. Go out there, spend some money because Dave is a vendor. He is a consistent veteran. He does three of these a year, three different uh, festivals of a year. There's the one here in Ohio. There's one in uh, Arizona and North Carolina. There you go. And they're all around this time of year, except the Arizona one comes up in about a month or so, right? No, actually, they run pretty well, depending on where you're in the country. Uh, they run oh, pretty consistently throughout the year, depending on where you are. And what do you what do you sell? I sell bows and arrows. I actually build bows and arrows, so think archery. Uh, I build the bows, the arrows, uh, the leather, I mean, pretty much everything. Yeah. Dave used to be a professional stick bow archery, archer. Archer. And uh, you can actually go to his YouTube channel. You see him old, old, old videos, old mm-hmm. videos back when he was a younger man. Uh, where I cut my finger. <laughs> <laughs> so Dave was uh, would do the tricks where he'd shoot something off of someone's head, right? I think the smallest thing was a pea. You, saw, you, you shot a pea off of somebody's head, didn't you? Uh, no, the smallest thing I've ever shot off somebody's head was a... Oh, no. Yes. I shot a great, uh, scariest shot I've ever done in my life ever killed a man no not that way actually in all the years because when we did the trick shooting in all the years i only hit my assistant once and it was a glancing really yeah and after that it was kind of like you know what maybe i ought to rethink what i'm doing here because you can kill a person i've seen dave do not that but i've seen him like where people will throw a balloon up in the air and it pops it throws it on the ground and pops it orders uh mentos wow very cool so that's how he's been doing that. And so he runs three different stick bow archery shops. Shops, thank you, at these three different festivals. It's very interesting because when I've gone out there and I see the people that work for you or working for the other shops, it's like a tent city. Like these people are camping out in tents for weeks on end. It's a gypsy life. It is a gypsy life. Yeah. How do they live like that? I don't know. <laughs> so when I first started doing this um i lived in a tent for two seasons but i was a vendor i was a merchant a handcrafter so the money that i would make would allow me to be able to live in a tent but also do everything else that i needed to do i pay my employees pretty good um i'm probably in the top five ten percent of of what employees get and even then, I don't know how they do it. I, I really don't. I, I, and we'll talk about it later with the homesteading, which, you know, is really kind of cutting back and tightening up the belt. But I don't know. Got to be a love of labor. I, I think it is. I think it's, I think it's a, a love of being on the road, calling your own shots, being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it, and you're not really tied to anything. Um, most of my employees, however, have jobs. So when they, stop working in my shop, so I'll go back. Uh, one is a chef. 
Um, the others, you know, do manual labor and things like that, which is, is great because they probably make more money doing that than they do with me. But it's just a love of the road and it's a love of the Renaissance uh, festivals. You have no idea what the other world is like. I think so many of us, me, we live in a bubble. We live in a bubble and we see the people that are around us and we think this is how the whole world lives. So not true. So not true. I mean, look, I mean, y- you can turn on you can turn on the TV now and especially what's going on in Israel right now, you just see how other people live. Not, you know, not look outside of the war and and hostage situation, but you see them, you know, like in Israel, they live in a kibbutz. A different lifestyle than what someone like me might be accustomed to. I'm probably a lot closer to that than than you are. And let's turn that into let's let's talk about your kibbutz back in Texas. Well, rough, um, rough my kibbutz is, it, is, is it true you call it rough acres? I do. Okay. It is called rough acres. And right now it looks pretty rough. Uh <laughs> I got so much to do when I get so on uh, 2018, uh I found a 15 acre plot. And Sarah and I just said, you know what, this is cool, but let's go take a look at other places. And our real estate agent, uh, Linda, who we're still friends to this day, absolutely lovely lady, showed us two or three other places. One of which, when we first drove on, there were deer in the field. I'm like, oh, I like this. I don't have to get off my toilet to go hunting. Kidding. For any game wardens out there. Anyway, uh, and we looked at this stuff, but this first place that we saw, it had this endearing little house, 1900 square foot, uh, 15 acres with a five acre lake on it. Um, the back property, you can only get down going over the pool dam, which I've driven my truck down. So it's, it's enough to get back there, but just a beautiful little place. So we bought it, um, paid cash and out the door we went. That was in 2018, and about a year and a half later, we started hearing this whole thing called the the C word. I'm not sure if we can say it because limitations. COVID. Right, can we? Sure, we can. Yeah. Okay. All right. And the world started shutting down. I didn't know where you're going when you said the C, C word. word. <laughs> okay. So, much re- family show. Much relieved <laughs> when I heard the word COVID instead of other C words. Continue, please. So the world started shutting down at the time I was in Arizona and we were shut down at week six and the red fares are about 50% of my income. At that time, they were about 75, 80%. We were shut down, sent home. And at that point, Sarah's yarn store was shut down, uh, her brick and mortar. We didn't have an income. Luckily, I had savings and I didn't work for 18 months during all that. Didn't take any of the stimulus, didn't take anything. Lived on the savings. During that time, we started figuring out, you know, we've got 15 acres out here. We've got a huge front yard. We've got a huge front kind of side kind of front yard. I've got a tractor. Why don't we start putting in gardens? Uh, At the time, I had three beehives. I, we had chickens, which is how the whole homestead started. It's, it's an addiction, man. You get chickens and the next thing you know, you have everything. Um, and we started growing vegetables and using our chickens for the eggs, started selling eggs and started selling vegetables direct to consumer. 
it was like, whoa, we're not making money, but we've got, we're, we, hmm, money is being exchanged. Maybe there's something in this thing. That's where the addiction and the learning curve, a very, very steep learning curve started coming in because putting seeds into the ground and thinking you're going to grow vegetables. Yeah, it'll work. Some plants will work that way, but others, not so much. So I started learning, okay, seasons, grow times, uh, when's the best time to, to pick the fruits and vegetables, um, your fruits, how long is it going to take for this fruit tree to grow and actually produce? And, and really kind of taking a look of what our grow zone was, how long everything takes to grow. How, how were you researching all this information? Because you didn't know this. You didn't know I didn't know it. I did not. Growing something, yeah, stick it in the ground. Just put a seed in the ground and water it and put some sun on it and it'll produce. Yeah, I, I've had uh, major challenges with my grass for the last three years. And then I figured out the real way to grow grass, not, you know, you know yard grass, not other grass. And that's you call a company and have them come out and spray it and then water the heck out of it. And your lawn looks beautiful now. I am really good at growing weeds and not on the other side of grass. Growing things is it is just a learning curve. It's not impossible. It's just it takes some time, dedication, and trial and error. So fast forward to the end of COVID, Renaissance Festival started opening up. Which was great at that point because my savings is all but gone. I was down for 18 months. And everybody being cooped up, the opening of the Renaissance Festival, which I believe would have been Arizona for us, was phenomenal. People wanted to spend money. People were getting free money. I mean, they were being given money. They were cooped up. They didn't know what to do with it. So we ended up getting a really good year. And Sarah and I looked at each other and said, you know what? We're tired of electric bills. We're tired of water bills. The only bills that we really want to have that we have to have is going to be land tax, which has never really made much sense to me. And maybe a phone bill, insurance, and some gas. Why, why can't we grow our own food? Why can't we grow our own meat, our own vegetables, our own fruits, our own nuts, um, the, the bees? You put out a, a pound of honey and people give you 17 to 20 bucks for it. And mm. it's just like, whoa, okay. So now I'm at 25, 30 hives um, and produce about 1,000 to 1,300 pounds of honey every year. Wow. Um, then came the milking cows, uh, jerseys, cell size jerseys. So I go, if I'm doing the math right, you're getting about $2,500 a month on honey alone? Uh, well, it's a short spurt. Oh. So with the honey, I the way I do it is I don't use any heat. I don't use um, strainers, you know, as far as for filtering. Basically, go in there, grab the honey, and then I'll strain it through a, a fine mesh screen. That's it. No heat extraction. I have an extractor that it's centrifugal force. You put everything in there and then spin it, and it'll spin off. And then, so when you get the honey, there are little bits of pieces of pollen and wax and things like that in it, which is really good for your body. Uh, if you have allergies in the local area, local honey. Uh, make sure no chemicals, no heat, and it's only strained and that's it. And it'll be good for you. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a short hit. So yeah, 1,000 to 12, 1,300 pounds of honey at 15 to $17 a pound take away your jar costs and everything else and it's money um in this homesteading world we're not allowed to sell pork 
we we have hogs. We're not allowed to sell beef. We're not allowed to sell milk. So those things that we have are pretty much our own that we use on our own. Um, and then you go into, well, the electric bill. Well, we've got 10,800 watts of solar. Uh, soon to be about 19,000. Hmm. So all of a sudden the electric bill goes from you're paying $450 a month, cut that by 50%. Uh, water well. We had a water well put in. Uh, anywhere from about 100 to $175 a month, all of a sudden that's gone. You don't have that anymore. Um, insurance is easy to mitigate. Land taxes, really not much you can do about it. And all of a sudden the bills start going down. So the money that we're doing from the Renaissance festivals goes a little further to put into the property, which makes the property pay for itself. Well, the property is paid for. But your bills, your monthly bills, next thing you know, you're living free. Sounds good, right? Uh-huh. Except it's about a full time and a half job. Sure. So everything out there has to be watched and maintained, cared for. And it doesn't matter if it's a, a electrical storm at three in the morning and it's downpouring and in, you know, every hour you're out there doctoring some animal or helping a cow, you know, birth a cow. Beehives will tip over and yeah, go talk to a beehive that has about 50,000 really angry bees. <laughs> right. So it's constant. It's, it's a constant thing. How many chickens do you have? How long does it take to get all the eggs? Um... Right now, we'll probably only have about 25, 30 chickens, but there have been times where I've had about 100. Wow. Uh, in fact, we just got a new set of chickens because we replace them every year and a half. Uh, they start laying at about six months, and about a year later, they start slowing down. Well, by that time, we've already grown up new chicks, and then those chickens go into the freezer and freeze dryer, everything else. And are you, you, you said you are able to sell the eggs though, right? Yes. Okay. And sell eggs. And you can gift the eggs. You can gift, gift them as well. Yeah. So what happens if you have a dozen eggs and you drive them from Texas to Ohio, maybe to give to your friend David, and uh, what happens while they're in transit? Well, theoretically, if if I were to do something like that, um, you did. You'd, you'd... I feel so bad. Up you did. Go ahead. Tell the story. So the whole story was, is my, you know, somebody that I consider one of my best friends, yeah. David I wanted to give him some farm fresh eggs. It was the middle of summer. So when I come out to Ohio, it's it's August. I come out about two weeks early. And it was 100 something degrees in Texas. And it was about 100 and something degrees on the drive out here. And of course, when I got here, Dave was busy. I was busy. So it was about a week before I saw him. And of course, it's 100 degrees here. The proper incubation temperatures for eggs are right around 98 to about 101 degrees. And apparently they self-incubate. Yep, they do. Because when I cracked that egg open, I was so excited. Fresh farm eggs, cracked an egg open, and here comes this, what would you call it? Dead embryo. Embryo? Yes, all blood. And I just lost my stuff right there. But the honey that you gave me was delicious. That honey. It did make up for that. All right, word of the wise, uh, if you're going to get eggs from somebody make sure it's not 100 to 98 degrees yeah but yeah just yeah exactly all right continuing on so at that point we've built a homestead now honestly we've only been about 30 40 percent quote-unquote off-grid where we're not going to the store to pick up food and things like that this year i put in a lot of grow beds a greenhouse 
and really just kind of got everything prepped for the fall season. So when I go home here, what, another four or five days, the garlic goes in along with a bunch of other winter crops that will go in. And then in the spring, the spring crops grow in and we should probably end up hitting somewhere around 90, 95% off grid. Meaning when we go to the store, we're buying flour, sugar, salt, and actually we really don't need to do sugar because we got the bees. Um, what yeast and baking powder. Mm. That's it. And other than that, we're eating beef, grass-fed beef, uh, pork, uh, um, what chicken, turkeys, geese, rabbits, and quail. It's amazing. What else would you want to do with your homestead farm that you've created that you don't have already? Well, right now we're at 10,800 watts. We're going to go to 19. Uh, that'll take us completely off-grid to where we got the battery reserves and the solar to be able to run the whole place and tell the electric company where to go. Um, I'll still be grid-tied because things happen. That's probably it. I just picked up... Uh, if you've ever seen hay baling, you got the small little square bales and then you got the big, big, huge square bales and then the big round bales those big bales weigh about a thousand to twelve hundred pounds i just got a little mini round baler for the homestead that makes 60 pound round bales and it's been sitting there and i need to get it all together because this past year i was prepping all my pasture well all my pastures like three acres of them um to actually be able to produce my own hay so that's a goal for this upcoming spring with all the work that i did last summer to do that other than that, really, want not, need not. Yeah, you I mean you got the lake too, so you didn't mention fish, but yeah. Uh, so when I first bought that property, I called a fish stalker out. It already had bass in it, and had them stock it with bass, uh, feeder fish, and catfish. And it's a fed lake, so we've got big fish in there. And over these years, I'll go out there and I'll fish. Uh, somehow crappie got in there too. I don't know. And so we'll catch fish and I'll just let them go. Um, two years ago, I was catching fish and measuring them and looking on the scale of how long they are versus how much they weigh. And it kind of tells you if they're behind or ahead. And I was calling the smaller ones out and make room for the bigger ones. But really, when I go out there, I'll let my friend's kids fish it with the caveat of you just got to put the fish back. And so we've got a whole ecosystem on that lake with frogs, crayfish, and fish that is amazing. So you're not eating any of the fish? Not right now. Wow. And I made, actually, this is probably going to end up sounding gross to most people, but when I get home, this goes back to eating the fish, is I'd like to catch some catfish and maybe some bass out of my lake and then take my cast iron skillet. We have a wood burning stove, put that cast iron skillet on the wood bird uh, bowl bird pot fill it up with a little bit of water catch some fish eat the meat and then take the carcasses head and all uh, minus the guts obviously throw them into that uh that bowl and let it simmer and what you're doing is you're making a bone broth hmm. do you remember the old stories of your your grandparents and great grandparents saying well if you got a cold eat some chicken noodle soup mm -hmm. well the reason why is they used to make bone broth and the chicken noodle soup was actually made by stewing the carcasses of the chickens. I didn't know that. And it would take all the, the nutrients out of the bones, which is a huge amount of electrolytes and everything else. 
And that's why you get better really, really fast. I remember my grandfather used to make a bone marrow for me. Yeah. Oh, bone marrow. I loved it. Actually, it's, it's good, good stuff. And people just don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they'll go down and they'll get, you know, Theraflu or Permafl, whatever it's called, um, or NyQuil or, or things like that. And we're, we're putting so many chemicals into our body that it's just not good. Mm-hmm. So do something like that. I've never done it. I've never done a fish soup. So we'll see what it tastes like. I don't know. I'll let you know. Why do you think homesteads has become so popular? Not super popular, but you said it's been a huge growth in the last few years. Why do you think that is? I think people are scared. I think that when we went through COVID in 2020, uh, I don't know how you guys were here. I was in Arizona and then I went back to Texas and saw it on both ends. But when you'd go to the store and you'd go to the meat aisle or the bread aisle or the egg aisle and the milk and it's empty. Most people do not realize that stores in the United States are just on time delivery, meaning that if they weren't to deliver, you're out of food in three days. That's it. It done. And most people in the United States are not like our grandparents where they had six months of preserves sitting in the pantry. Um, I bet you right now, if I were to go down to your fridge and open your fridge, like, Hey, it's well stocked. Go to your pantries. They're pretty well stocked. Yeah. You're probably going to survive about a week, week and a half. That's what most people do. What do you do after that? Um, you know, go to your neighbor, you know, are they going to help you? They're probably in the same position. So I think getting away from the, the scared you know, side, cause I hate that type of stuff. I think people are scared and I think people are starting to realize that, you know, Hey, maybe if I plant my own garden, well, you know, I'm, I'm in a suburb and you've got a gorgeous house. I love your backyard, the garden that you could put back there. You know, the, the, the stuff that you could do that you could grow. Well, Dave, I can't have animals. Yeah. Well, most HOAs allow chickens and if they don't, they allow rabbits and they allow uh, quail. Absolutely. They do because they count as, um, as pets and quail produce eggs. They also produce meat. Rabbits produce meat. And most people don't think that way. You know, what, what do you do when you go to the store and the store doesn't have bread? Mm-hmm. The embarrassing story. I went down to Walmart uh, the other day um, to pick up some uh, clothes. And one of the things was underwear. They didn't have underwear. Not mm-hmm. in my size. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Guess it's time to go to the laundry. Are you, are you commando right now? Never mind. Don't answer that question. I see what, so as, as we've seen in the last three years, the prices at the grocery stores have gone up. Is it the same thing for, let's call it the raw materials, the animals, the feed, all that stuff? Has that gone up as well? Absolutely. So most people are seeing you know, eggs going from a buck 86 to 250 a dozen you know, and just making prices up. Or milk going from $3 a gallon to $5 a gallon. They're getting the same thing. And a lot of things, if you really pay attention, are smaller sizes. That box of cereal that you used to get for, for a buck $1.50, you're paying $1.75 and it's a couple ounces less than what it used. Same thing in the homesteading is our feed, because we feed organic, um, it, it's astronomical. So when I charge $6 a dozen for eggs, people are like, well, I can go down to Walmart and get them for a buck you know, 76 for, you know, for a flat of 36 of them. Well, yeah, you can. You ever crack one open and look at that neon yellow yolk, crack one of mine open and it's sunset orange. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a big thing in that called nutrients. Uh-huh. Um, and people just don't, don't look at that. 
Yeah. It's cheap, 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 down, down, down. Yeah. What um what do you think is like the next couple of years for you? How much how much longer do you want to keep doing the traveling across the country for these Renaissance festivals? What what do you think you're gonna be like, I'm done, I've got my homestead, I'm here, this is it for me? It's interesting because we we were just talking about that in the shop. So my manager, Maria, you know Maria, uh, she pretty much runs stickbow archery as far as any of the shows that I do. And I've told her that once this homestead starts getting to a point to where it is a full-time job and it's already past that. And it's also producing to the point to where I need to be out there full-time because Sarah's the one running it right now. And it's, it's almost impossible for her to do it. That I will start backing off the Ren Fairs where I'll go for opening and, you know, second weekend and then come back for, you know, like in the case of Ohio, eighth and ninth weekend, ninth weekend being the final weekend. So I'll only go for like three or four weeks out of the whole run of that show. And she's going to start taking it over. Um, and we're getting close. We're getting really, really close to that point. So she wants to take on, she being Maria, wants to take on another show. In fact, we were talking about Florida. Um, so, you know, it's between Florida, Georgia, uh, and then West Virginia were three of them that we were talking about. Um, you know, I don't know. We may end up taking another show and just start telling employees, okay, well, if you want this show to come in, great. I'll stock it up, but you guys are going to end up running it. And that will start to be the cascade of me starting to back away. I'm um, still running them because I'm going to build bows for probably the next 10 years. Oh. And then after that, I'll probably back away. All right. Cool. Well, last question is then if someone wants to get into homesteading, this would be something interesting for me to research more. Where can they research that? And, and what's the best advice you'd give them? Best advice I could probably give them is get up on YouTube and look up homesteading. What, what if they don't have internet anymore because they're off the grid? Yeah, because they're off the What do they do now? There you go. Well, then they're probably already homesteaders. There you go. Um, you know, I've, I have a lot of acquaintances and some people that I know both within the homesteading and also the survival side of things where the survival videos are cool because those guys don't use the fear factor. It seems like a lot of the homesteaders nowadays that are putting videos out are constantly talking about what's going on in the world. And that's important to know. But at the same time, if I were getting into this, I would be backing away from the fear, fear, fear and wanting to go more for how, how, how. Um, there's one guy, he doesn't know me from Adam, uh, called the Millennial Gardener. A lot of good uh, tips and tricks. Uh, if you want to learn more of the, the homesteading and survival side, uh, Chad Zubert uh, is a really, really good one. Um, in fact, I... We're in the middle of a project of him building a bow through the internet, through pictures and online FaceTime with me. And he is a huge, popular, primitive survival guy, uh, doing a lot of his stuff out in Arizona and California. And it's looking like we're going to probably get together and do a two or three day catch, cook, clean, maybe thing when I go out there. I don't know. Nice. Um, yeah, this is the same way when, when I first heard your name, you know, four or five years ago. There's a video of me in Arizona flying. So yeah, I'm going to Ohio and I end up meeting this guy named Dave Wolf. Yeah. Paramoto crazy. Yeah. <laughs> now the artist formerly known as, but uh, what, I'll tell you what I'll do for the audience. Uh, I'll go ahead and, and put uh, links in the, in the description of the podcast. So if you're interested in 
Dave's channel or the channels he just mentioned, you can go there. So very interesting, very cool. And uh, who knows? Hopefully it'll never happen that we all have to be homesteaders. But if we did, well, you'll be well ahead of the curve. Yeah. On my channel, I mean, I'm much like like you. I'm not putting a lot of content out right now because I'm just so flipping busy. But there have been a few people saying, David, you really need to start doing this stuff. You know, as far as for filming, how you're doing this, what type of preps, you know, you've made for your garden, the little tips and tricks. And I don't know, but it's like anything else that anybody that's ever done YouTube videos is you, you spend hours and hours in editing and then you only get a few watchers. So it's like, I don't know yet. Um, but there's a lot of good people out there that you can see. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Thank you, Dave Ruff, for the uh, last 30 minutes. We appreciate that. And thank you all for listening to another episode of Beyond the Summit. And uh, we'll see you again here real soon. Have a good week, everybody. Hey everyone, this is David. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, please go ahead and give this episode a five-star rating. Also, leave a review or any questions you might have for the guests and I'll make sure they get it. Thanks again so much for listening and we'll see you again next week on Beyond the Summit.